Well, thanks again to all of you that went out there to the opening day. That, that was the best opening day that our church has ever done. We've tried for years to try to connect uh, with the people that are involved in Weston Little League because we love them. They're friends and neighbors, and we want the very best for them, and I'm so thankful for some of the ideas and the strategies and the, the turnout. And uh, Donnie Gonzalez, you here? Be careful when you're not here. Pastor might call your name. But I wanted to brag on Donnie because he did something to me yesterday that I thought was just exactly what we want to be. We were out there talking. Uh, I was talking with, Johnny, uh, with Donnie, and some people were walking by, and he cut off our conversation right in mid-sentence, and he said, excuse me, I need to talk to this guy. I thought they were great friends. He had never met the guy. He was just cutting off the conversation with the pastor so he could reach somebody that was out in the community. And I thought that is so good. We need to be aware and cognizant of doing that. And uh, Mark Pekajic, you're switching your seat around here. Have to look for you over here. Thanks for signing all those autographs for kids. It was fun to watch you interact with those kids. You're a, you're a pro. <laughs> it was a lot of fun to watch them engage with you and, and uh, to see you autograph those cards for the kids. Well, we continue in the book of Jude. And as Jude challenges us to contend for the faith, the theme verse, verse 3, he spends much of the book trying to help us to identify the enemy, because Jude knew what we all need to know, is that until you identify who or what you're fighting, it's hard to put up a good fight. So Jude knew that. So he's painting a very clear picture of the clear and present danger, false teachers, and false beliefs. Now, in yesterday's yearly Bible reading calendar, we came to Acts chapter 13. In verses 10 and 11, Luke quoted Paul in talking about this exact same issue. He said, those of the devil are, quote, enemies of everything that is right, and they pervert the right ways of the Lord. That's a false teaching, a false teacher. This past Tuesday, February the 28th, marked the 30th year since the Branch Davidian siege began outside of Waco in 1993. For 51 days, law enforcement officials attempted to peacefully resolve a very dangerous cult situation. But it culminated in an apocalyptic scene of gunfighting and a flaming inferno. When it was all over on April 19th, 1993, 76 people were dead, including the leader David Carruth, and claimed that he was the Messiah. But that not only had the survivors been permanently scarred by the abuse and the horrors experienced at that compound, but more killing would result. Timothy McVeigh felt compelled to continue David Koresh's resistance to the government, so he carried out a terrorist attack in Oklahoma City two years later. It occurred on April 19th, 1995, because he wanted people to make the connection between what happened outside of Waco and what happened in Oklahoma City. He killed 186 people and physically injured nearly a thousand others. But that wasn't the end. Dylan Klebold, 
and Eric Harris identified Timothy McVeigh as one of their inspirations for the Columbine High School shooting that took place on April 20th, 1999. Some researchers actually think they had planned for April 19th to coincide with the anniversary of the Branch Davidian downfall and the Oklahoma City bombing on April 19th in 1995. On that day in 1999, 12 students and one teacher were killed by these two young men who then took their own lives. This sad and tragic piece of American history, coupled with events like 9-11 and countless others, remind us of the dangers that Jude is talking about. False teachers and false beliefs lead to deadly consequences, even if nobody physically dies, but that seldom happens. Because false teachers and false beliefs are driven by the evil one who has his sole agenda identified in John 10, John 10, 10, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Unless we think that we are above falling prey to false teachers and false beliefs, Remember what happened to Peter not long after he gave that great confession in Matthew 16, 16. It was Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. But just seven verses later, Jesus turns to the same man and he says, you are Satan, get behind me because of your false belief that I will not have to die for the sins of man. When we think of all of this, see if you recognize any of these quotes. When you anchor the authority of your teaching to the Bible, you reinforce an assumption that has the potential to weaken rather than establish faith. The next, it is next to impossible to defend the entire Bible. And this last one. If the Bible is the foundation of your faith, here's the problem. It's all or nothing. Christianity becomes a fragile house of cards religion. You think back of the experiences and the events that we just talked about, and we wonder, who made those statements? One of the most popular pastors in America over the last few years. He is the son of one of the most popular pastors in America, Charles Stanley. Andy Stanley made those comments over the last few years. He oversees the ministry of North Point Community Church in Alpharetta, Georgia. They have a host of campus churches and affiliated churches. He is literally one of the most influential pastors in America. I've listened to him for years and have benefited from his teaching. He is incredibly insightful and extremely practical. Besides that, he's a very captivating communicator. The goal of their church and their network of churches is to, quote, create churches unchurched people love to attend. We've had DVD and live stream teaching of Andy Stanley in our church that honestly were very helpful. 
We used them even last year in our home for a home study with some of our neighbors, and it was very helpful. But like I said, he's very practical, very insightful, but I'm growing more and more concerned about how he refers to the Bible in connecting this with the book of Jude. In his attempt to create unchurched people, create churches that unchurched people love to attend, he's using toxic statements of the Bible, like the ones that I just read, and this one that he uses about Jesus' resurrection. We believe Jesus rose from the dead, not because the Bible says so. It's way better than that. He then explains how the message of Jesus' resurrection was spread from person to person by eyewitnesses, not by a book called the Bible. Now, I see his intent is to try to build up the confidence in the historical fact of the resurrection, to say that there were eyewitnesses. But in his attempt to do that, he undermines the confidence in Scripture. I remember being at a conference out at Saddleback in which Craig Rochelle and Andy Stanley were leading Catalyst One. Miles and Michelle were there with me, and he was leading, and again, brilliant thoughts about leadership and insight. And then he talked, and he used this very same phrase. It's way better than what we have in the Bible. And Craig Rochelle came out and said, I, I understand kind of what you're trying to say here, but, but I don't get it because there's so little confidence in the Bible already. Lifeway Research says that the number one predictor of spiritual maturity is the regular reading of the Bible. So it's dangerous to be communicating doubt about the scriptures. And I recognize that any public speaker can be cherry-picked about things that they said or have said and consequently be canceled. So we need to be careful. So it's not just in Jude's time, because I feel like in some of these messages I've I've left you in ancient times thinking, well, that was a problem back then. But it's a real problem today, especially with the proliferation of teaching on the internet and podcasts, and especially with so many social media influencers. We need to be careful about real threats, perceived threats, and potential threats. We need to be aware what God's Word says about false doctrines and those who teach them. So as we continue in the book of Jude, I hope that I've brought you into the 21st century, because maybe I've failed to do that in the last few weeks. This is a very real problem in the world in which we live, and not just out there somewhere, but in the church in America today. So today we're going to look at Behind the Curtain of Ungodliness, one of the most famous classic movies of all time, The Wizard of Oz. We can all relate to what's behind the curtain when the wizard is finally exposed. And that's what Jude is doing here. He's taking false teachers and he's pulling back the curtain to say they're not what they say they are, what they present themselves to be. In Jude 14 through 16, and you can find it in the Pew Bible, page 1910, it says, it was also about these that Enoch, and he's talking back about the false teachers, the seventh from Adam prophesied saying, behold, the Lord comes with 10,000s of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all of, and listen to how many times he uses the word ungodly, to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness 
that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They're loudmouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. Judah's talking about ungodliness and the prevalence of ungodliness amongst false teachers. Ungodly people doing ungodly things in an ungodly way with ungodly words. What does he say? That God is going to execute judgment on all of those and convict all of the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that have been committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Judah's warning, lest we think false teaching, it's so easy to do that. It's so easy to give up the fight, isn't it? It's like, let's just let it go. Let's focus on something else. I mean, we can live our lives and it's not going to impact our lives, whether there's false teaching or false teachers out there. And Jude is reminding us, don't give up. And he reminds us that if we fall prey to that, there is certain judgment against us. The term that he uses there about judgment against the ungodly is the same term that Paul used in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, when he's talking about this whole litany of sins. And he says the ungodly will ultimately meet the wrath of God. See, ungodliness is not just inconsequential. When we follow in a direction in opposition to God, we will ultimately meet head on the very wrath of God. Ungodly deeds, yes, but the ungodliness of denying Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of the world. It's really a posture. When he's talking about ungodliness, it's a posture of opposition to God. And sometimes we can be very polite in our posture. It's a posture of not having reverence or respect for God. And Jude wants to expose that. He says, here's the kind of people they are. Now, rather than thinking of a person that you know that's just like this, think about those who lead out with false teaching that manifest these particular types of things in their lives. Listen to what it says in verse 16. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires, their loudmouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage, Jude 16. Grumblers, this word that he uses here, talking about false teachers. It's the only place in the New Testament we find this word. And it's a reference back to the Hebrew people as they were out in the wilderness when they had been taken out of Egypt on the Exodus. And you remember what they did? If you're reading through the Bible, you've seen a lot of that, right? They're grumbling. They're complaining. They're believing that somehow God is holding out on them, not giving them their very best, or not giving them what they think that they deserve. They have a critical spirit, like a critical spirit is the tenth fruit of the spirit. They fall, find fault like there's a reward for it. They're quick to identify problems in others. And you'll see that among false teachers. They will grumble against other particular teachings and identify them as being wrong. They're malcontents, it says. Perpetually discontent, judgmental, joyless. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Remember where that's found? Not in the psalm, Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10. And when we manifest joylessness 
as malcontents, it is, a, it is a statement against the very God who gives us joy. Always complaining that something about the church is not right. Those are some of my concerns that I hear here. When you're trying to, trying to grow a church that unchurched people love to attend, the first thing you do need to do is get rid of the Bible. Because not everybody who's unchurched is really going to find the Bible to be a favorable book. It says that they're unrestrained. They do as they please. There is not a boundary. There is not a guide. There is not accountability. They run like a wild horse where their desires trump all others. And Judah's saying, beware of what is out there. Loud mouth boasters. And not just out there. Remember what Jude was saying? They've crept into the church like, remember what they crept in like? Like lizards sneaking into the church. You don't even notice, and then all of a sudden they're there. These loudmouth boasters say, claiming to be more than they are. They elevate themselves and their thoughts and their ideas above God's word. When you elevate yourself above God's word, you can say anything. And then there's this demonstration of superior knowledge, as if what I am telling you is superior to what you will hear anywhere else. Selfish discriminators. It says that they will favor certain people to gain a following, to gain benefit. They will flatter other people to get personal gain from them. So Jude is trying to expose this ungodliness. He goes on to give some, this is, he, he is, he comes into the batter's box swinging. I mean, he's not taking any strikes. He is swinging from the very beginning. And he says the ungodly will be convicted and the godly will be acquitted. And we know a lot about that watching some of the, the scandalous TV trial that has been taking place with Alex Murdoch. The ungodly will be convicted, the godly will be acquitted. Notice what it says in verse 14. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all, to convict all of the ungodly of their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such ungodly ways and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. And this raises a little bit of a challenge because we wonder, what is he quoting from? And this was a book that had been established. Most likely he could have been quoting from oral tradition, but most likely the book of First Enoch, in which it wasn't a part of the 39 books of the Old Testament, which was already established at this time. Jesus had the same Old Testament that we have today. And when he looks back at this, he is saying, here's something that everybody would know that Enoch, going all the way back to Genesis chapter 5, made a prophecy that judgment will come and judgment will be certain. Enoch was like Elijah in the fact that he didn't die, but he was taken up. He was highly esteemed, and so people believed that he had visions and revelation, that he literally walked with God. What we're seeing here in the book of Jude is actually the second oldest prophecy in the Old Testament. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 is the oldest in which God prophesied that Jesus would come, a Messiah would come and defeat the enemy. It's a picture of what Jesus declared in Matthew chapter 25, verse 31. Jesus said that he will come with all of his angels in all of his glory. 
Imagine tens of thousands of angels coming with Christ and Judah saying, judgment is certain. Don't give up. Make sure that we are on the right side of the docket. Because in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, it says that we all must stand before God in judgment. Sometimes the idea is that we really won't have to do that, especially we all stand and give an account of our one and only life. And the only difference in the judgment will be Jesus Christ and received his righteousness as we have just been just then like now there was pervasive belief that God is nothing but love that he's really okay with our sin that, that he really doesn't expect anything out of us the choice to be godly or ungodly that's all it is it's just a choice with unconsequential and unconsequential choice but the way Jude is writing here, and the verb tense that he uses, is to say that judgment is so certain that it's already accomplished. He's writing as if it's already happened. It's something to be expected if you resist God. But most people deny that. It's like it's, it's all going to work out. What did McVeigh give us when he died? A poem to say that he was a master, the captain of his own ship. I'll figure it out on the other side. It doesn't work that way according to what God's word says. It's written here to say they are all proven guilty. Ungodliness is already judged against those who don't repent. It goes on to say that the godless are storing up for themselves toward their judgment. They're literally investing in judgment against themselves. So important for us to embrace the righteousness of Christ. The words and works prove their guilt of godliness, the rebellion against God. And we all sit back and say, okay, but I'm not godless. But what if we are? What if we are not fully repentant of our sin? If we're cradling sin as a treasure? Or if we're just negligent of holiness? Go back to Luke 16, the rich man and Lazarus. What did the rich man do that was so abusive to Lazarus out at his front gate? says nothing of him going out and physically assaulting him. The one thing he did was what? Neglected. And that might be the greatest ungodliness of our day, is to neglect holiness. And Judah's warning against that. So he really brings us to this point where, thankfully, we don't have to make choices like this uh, that we used to, but we used to go to restaurants, and what would they ask you? Smoking or non-smoking? I'll take the non-smoking, right next to the guy who's smoking in the next section that's smoking. And that would be the choice, right? It says, well, it's all over. Godly or ungodly? Where do you want to be seated now? 
Godly or ungodly? It's our pick. Who will we stand with? The godless or the godly? And we can't forget that sometimes godlessness is just politely choosing to be disobedient to God. We don't flail our hand in the air. We don't revile his name. We simply refuse to obey all that he's called. So maybe now would be a great time for us to turn our palms up to God. and Just ask, is there even a hint of ungodliness in our lives? Is there in which we graciously decline to obey him? And friend, if you don't yet know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are in the throes of ungodliness, whether or not you realize it. But the great news is you don't have to stay there. God loves you and he's created you to have a relationship with him. But because of our sin, our ungodliness, our rebellion, our denying of who he is, posture separated from him. But thank you can make us right with God. We can literally be changed for all of eternity by humbly repenting of our sins and completely surrendering our life to Jesus Christ. If you've never done that, I would invite you to join with me in this prayer in just a moment to begin a relationship with Christ. And if you're already a Christian, who is it you need to be praying for right now? Who is it that God is burdening you about that is not yet a Christian? And if you don't have a burden for someone, you need to pray about that. Because that is a hint of ungodliness when we neglect other people and fail to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. God, sometimes your word feels very heavy to us. Sometimes it's not what we really want to hear. Yet we're reminded of, even from the examples shared earlier, that false teaching can be so much closer than we realize. And it can gradually whittle away our confidence in your word and what you say to us and ultimately our relationship with you. Help us to hear the mandate, the challenge, the warning that Jude gives us in just this brief letter, just one chapter. That we would hear all of these warnings as a, as a clarion invitation to follow hard after you, not to fall prey into false beliefs, even as Peter did when he denied that you would actually have to die for us. Lord, I pray for friends even now that are gathered with us and online who have never crossed the line to confess their sin to you, acknowledge their need for you, and invite you to be Lord and Savior. I, I pray that if they haven't, that they would recognize that that is the greatest need of their life a need that they shouldn't postpone for one more day. But today they might voice a prayer similar to this, Lord Jesus, I recognize that I am a sinner in desperate need of your forgiveness. Please forgive me of all my sins and become the Lord and Savior of my life. I surrender to you all that I am and all that I have, and I will follow hard after you the remaining days of my one and only life. 
Lord, for any that have prayed that prayer and invited you to be Lord and Savior, help them to take those next steps, to seek help and guidance from a local evangelical church to guide them in their relationship with you, to follow instruction from your word, to be baptized. God, for those of us that have already claimed our followership of you and surrender of lordship to you, Help us to have pure hearts. That we won't grow comfortable with sin in our lives, but we will confess it and seek godliness more than anything else, to seek you. And God, if our hearts have grown cold towards those around us that don't yet know you, remind us of that sin. Help us to repent of it, to turn and share freely, willfully, joyfully the great news that you have a plan to rescue us from our sin. Lord, thank you for this congregation known as Westgate, demonstrated through their actions even yesterday, a desire to share your love and your grace and your mercy with those that we live in close community with. We pray that you would bear out the fruit of those, of those deeds of that heart. And help us, Lord, to be everything that you've created us to be in this church as we seek to influence one another in this congregation towards godliness, as we seek to be those who communicate the great joy of knowing you in the community in which we live, even to the ends of the earth. Thank you for this church. God, may your favor and blessing be upon each one here today. In your name we pray. Amen. Love y'all. Thanks for listening. And now as we come into this final song of our time of worship, it's a great time for us to truly do what I talked about a moment ago. Maybe even literally, you just put your palms up and say, God, is there even a hint of ungodliness in my life? Would you take it away? If you pray to receive Christ, you want to begin a relationship with him, we'd love to talk with you more about that. You can meet us at the Connection Center out in the atrium. We'll have uh, a deacon and their wife at each one of the aisles during this song. Guys, you can go ahead and make your way back there. I'll be standing at the cross there to pray with you, to minister to you, answer any questions that you might have. And again, as Jeff alluded to earlier, this communication card is in the pew in front of you. If there's some kind of decision or prayer need that you have, you can just fill that out, leave it at the communica communication uh, center afterwards or drop it in one of the boxes. Let's stand together with just palms up and respond to God.